Take your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. If I said, I believe Jesus is coming back soon, God's people say, Amen. Amen. We do believe that. Along with that, we also have this burden saying there's a lot of people that need Jesus. There's a lot of people that are, that the truth of the matter is, we don't even like these hearing these words, but there is truth that there is heaven. The truth is there is hell. Heaven is the way that Jesus provided through salvation, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Hell is the destination of sin. If we have sin in our life and we do not have the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, that is the destination. You say, that is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable and it's true. It is true, it is true. The Bible has warned us of this. So what is our job? Our job is to reach people with the truth so that they don't have to go to that destination. We can say this all day long. If you guys have picked up on what we're trying to do, we are really in our hearts and our minds trying to be determined to go all out, hold nothing back, and, and, and have it in a process, a plan, a mission. That I'm not just going to go through the motions. I, 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 COVID really stirred me up. This whole change and seeing what's going on. I'm not going to be passive. I'm not going to go through the motions. I want to plan. I want to know who we are. I want the community to know who we are. I want them to know where we're going and I want to have a plan to do it. Right now I'm preaching on our plan to move forward. I, I think it's important. I, I've, I've thought of the difference between husbands and wives going to Target. There's a difference. Did you guys know there's a difference between men and women going to Target? I go to Target and I ask my wife, what are we here for? Give me the list and I'm going to get it. I'm on a mission. Women are totally different. I'm just here to walk around and see what's here. And I'm just here to hang out. When it comes to the mission of the gospel, we have to be more like men at Target than women. Does that make sense? We have to be on a mission. We have to know where we're going. We have to have a plan. And it, that, that's what we're trying to accomplish. I hope that doesn't offend the women. It's, just, it's a therapy place for walking around and hanging out. It sounds good to have the plan that we're going to reach people by inviting them to church. It's a great place for people to come. I want people to be here. Can I tell you this, that most people that are lost without Jesus, that don't go to church, are not going to get up on a Sunday morning, get in the cold, drive here, and walk through a place that they don't know, people they don't know, to hear a message they don't know they know that they need? They're not. Do you know how I know this? Because we don't have lines of people from the community lined up to come into this place right now. I wish we did. That would be awesome. But we don't. You say, Why? Because church mainly is for people that have a relationship with God or a connection with God already or a connection with people and they're here for that reason. To have the idea that the hope of the future of reaching people is the fact that we're going to have a, a cool sign out front and people are going to walk in and discover this place, is, it sounds good, but it's not reality. To think that they're going to just run to the altar and, 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 and their life's changed because they randomly walked in here today. They, they don't even know they need this. There's got to be a plan. There's got to be a mission of what we're trying to accomplish. Acts chapter 9, we're going to study this. I'm only going to give you half the message today and then half of it next week. We're going to break this down. We're working on a mission statement for the church. I'm going to give you a piece of this. I'm going to give you some direction of this, of what we're doing. I want you to see from my heart that what we're trying to lay out is a clear, exact something we can buy in and grab a hold of and preach and teach and pass on. And this is what we do. This is what we do. Jesus was 
Born in a manger, 30 years he lived his life, three years in public ministry, calls the disciples, preaches to the very end. Goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Prays, he's arrested, he's put on an unjust trial. Crucified on the cross, in the grave for three days. Comes out of the grave on the third day, just as he said. But it made a big problem. A huge problem. Because of the fact is, if Jesus was alive, if Jesus was alive, that meant that everything that the Pharisees and everything did, that, that meant that they were wrong. I, they're not going to come out and say, oh man, he's alive. Sorry, guys, we're so sorry that we crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not going to do that. So they had to cover it up. They didn't want to look bad at all. They wanted to make it look like they were liars, that the, the, the body of Jesus was stolen. That's what they had to do. So here they are, they're going around to anybody that's saying Jesus is alive or Jesus is the, the way, the truth, and the life. They had to shut them down and make them be quiet. They were eliminating the Christians. They were trying to persecute the Christians. During this time, there was a deacon. There was a man of God named Stephen. He rose up in the beginning of the book of Acts. He was boldly going out. He goes before a crowd. He begins to preach the gospel unapologetically, declaring Jesus Christ is alive and you need Jesus they got so mad at him and said, we're trying to stop this message. You, you shut your mouth. They picked up stones, ripped off his outer cloak, laid it at the foot of this guy that was a tyrant that was leading the charge. His name was Saul. He's standing there. They picked up stones and they took his life, Stephen's life, in front of everybody. You know why? Because he was declaring the truth that Jesus was alive. That man, Saul, was on a mission he was going to stop this radical, crazy thought that there was a man named Jesus that came that was the Son of God and he's still alive. They, they, went on, um, they went on a tyrant to try to burn down churches. They were destroying any people that were there. They were arresting them, pulling them out of their houses, doing whatever it took. Saul later testifies in Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. He was talking about what he did. He said, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. I, I, I don't have time to get into all the details of that passage, but the wasted it literally means I was out to completely ruin it. He was the, the, the Hitler during the Holocaust that Saul was to the Christians. I'm going to hunt you down, I'm going to take you out, and I'm going to make you miserable. And anybody that heard the name Saul was terrified of him because they knew that he had the power and authority to, to, to eliminate these radicals that was happening. He was heartless. Let me prove it. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter. Think of those words. Think about this guy. Breathing out, saying, chanting, putting this message out of threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. Went into the high priests and desired of them letters of Damascus, to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he would bring them bound unto Jerusalem. The, the slaughter were, means the intense desire to murder or to destroy. He's not playing games. I'm telling you, this guy was a bad dude. He, was, he said, I don't care if they're men or women. I don't care what it is. Have you guys ever met somebody that was so cold and so hard and so far from Jesus, you fatted in your mind saying, I don't know what in the world could get through to this guy. 
You know what I'm saying? I, I, I've known people, I've known family, I know you, you guys have known people, just man, they, they, they hate God, they hate religion, they hate talking about church, they, they hate Christians. This guy was so hard. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and there fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Jesus calls down from heaven. Saul stops in his tracks. Then he says, dude, why are you doing this? You say, wait a minute. He wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting the church. Let me tell you guys this, how, how this works. If you pick on me, you pick on him. Do you guys hear that? The world that is changing and happening around us, we are the children of God. We are the church. We are the called out ones. If this world changes and you say persecution's coming, you better watch out because you pick on the church, you pick on my Savior. It's the same thing in my life. You pick on my kids, you pick on me. We're one and the same. There's a relationship. That's what he's saying. Why are you persecuting me? You've picked on the Father. Don't mess with the family of God. And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said unto him, I am, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. It's hard for you to resist what I'm doing with this. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will you have me to do? Trembling and astonished. Jesus called him by name. I mean, you think about it. Paul, Saul in this passage is sitting there thinking, man, I deserve to die. I don't deserve God. I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve any of this. If this is truly Jesus, man, I should be dead should be dead. Can I say something that I discovered through reading this that goes against kind of what I thought growing up and teaching, and I'm not trying to rip some sort of foundational teaching from you. I want you to discover this together as we go through this. I don't believe that Saul got saved on the road to Damascus. And I've heard that my whole life. And Saul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, but I don't think he fully understood who he encountered. I, and, and, I, and I don't want you to accept it just by the fact that I'm saying this right now. I want you to read with me as a study. We're going to do an expository study through this whole passage, and I want you to come to this understanding of yourself. There's a lot of people that will encounter truth, but totally don't get it. They still don't understand it. There's people that go to church week after week or watch online after message after message and they don't fully get it. There's a difference between getting the gospel from your head to your heart. You can have a knowledge of God. You can have an understanding of God but not fully understand who God is because salvation isn't about you dragging somebody to Jesus. It's about them crying out to Jesus. There is a difference. And I believe on this day that God truly got a hold of him. He understood that there is a higher power that was getting hold of him, but he didn't fully embrace who Jesus was. There's a couple of things that happen in here to prove this. He stands up blind. Plays a big part in this. I love the message of this because it's a matter of proving that God pursues everyone. Did you guys hear me? God pursues everyone. There is no one beyond reach of God. I was joking last week. I was preaching and I threw out something and I had a few people give me a hard time about it after church. And I was, I said, it doesn't matter 
how far you've gone in sin, if you're a drug dealer, if you served time in prison, if you this, or if you've gone out and blown up a building. And everybody was like, how many people do you know that's blown up buildings? How many people are in church? I get it. My point is, I don't care how far you go. I don't care if you're a radical terrorist. God died for radical terrorists. And I say that for anybody that sits there and in the back of your mind, you begin to write people off going, well, if you just knew that they dabbled in satanic worship, that they dabbled in this or whatever, nobody is without reach of the power of God. That is the power that we're talking about. Jesus came to seek after, he came to seek after Saul and he was lost in this condition. I want you to think about this as we go through this. So verse six again, and trembling and astonished, he said, Lord, what will you have me to do? Nothing there referencing anything dealing with salvation. I just want to lay that out. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go to the city, go into the city, and shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul rose up from the earth, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus, and he was there three days without sight, and neither did he eat nor drink. Now, I want, I want to see what happens in this. I want to see how God works to bring us to Christ. It's amazing what happens in his life because God doesn't leave it there. God is breaking him down. Something has to happen in our life. We have to be lost before we can be saved. We have to know that we're lost. We have to be humble. We have to be broken. It's not a matter of you come to God on your conditions. Man, we come to God broken and humble. I surrender all. The aspect that we need Jesus. Saul was in an odd place. He lost his purpose. He lost, he's not one of the disciples and he's not who he was before in this passage. I need to tell you that I'm not really preaching about Saul today though. I'm just being honest. It's, it's, I had to give you that because you wouldn't understand the guy that I did want to talk about without mentioning this. The guy that I want to preach about is a nobody, an absolute nobody that played a part in Saul's life that Saul ended up being part, wrote 13 books of the New Testament, turned the world upside down and did all this. But it all started with a nobody, a guy that just went to church. A guy that just loved God, a guy that just would go to youth group and hang out. He was a nobody. Verse 10, and there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. You want to know his description? He was just a random dude. And he said unto the Lord, and the Lord said unto him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, behold, I am here, Lord. So we don't know anything about this guy. We just, he was not a great warrior, great leader, whatever. It's like, and I think sometimes with us, you have it in your mind that if people that are going to be reached, even the hard-hearted people, that we need, we need to be the next Billy Graham or D.L. Moody or Billy Sunday and all these people that we've built up of being the great evangelists. Do you understand that you have the same calling on your life that D.L. Moody did? Do you, you have the same God that you serve as Billy Graham served? And I think God used these people in a great, powerful way and praise God for their influence. But you are called by the same God. You're equipped by the same Holy Spirit. You have the same mission as they do. Don't don't put yourself on the sidelines thinking that you're not the quarterback out there making the plays. God has a position and a plan for every single one of us as the family of God. You're part of something that Satan can't destroy. We all play a part. Verse 11, he said unto him, Arise and go to the house 
into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. Behold, he prayeth. Now this is when it gets really cool. Saul, the Bible describes Saul in this house of Judas. We don't even know who Judas is. He's this guy. He's literally walking around the house like this. He can't find his way. He's blind. He's hungry. He is distraught. He's, he's disturbed. He's, he's confused. And he's praying. Have you ever thought what people are praying when they're confused? God, if you're really there, show me. God, if you're, if you're God that does things, if you're God, if you're really it, God. I think the lost pray a lot more than we think. They're in that situation where they're, they're holding a gun in their hand, not knowing if there's truly a God or if they have purpose in life, or they're, they're wondering if anybody cares about them, or they find bad news at, at the hospital, or they, they go through this, and they're, they're, God, are you truly there? Is there really a God? Have you ever wondered how God answers prayers? It's really cool. It's like, man, God's going to show up an angel or do something majestic or magical in that moment. Here's how God did it. Here's over here. Here's an Ananias that's sitting there. And God comes and taps on his shoulder and says, Hey, I need you to get up and do something for me. There's a guy praying, and I'm going to use you to be the answer to his prayer. You think you have no part in what God is doing? You are part. You are the tool. You are the ambassador that delivers the love and the answers to those that are praying and asking questions. God works through us. I want you to see that you have a mission. I was curious and I looked up online top reasons why people go through depression. A bunch of different reasons. Some of them are clinical and I'm not, I'm not ignoring any of those whatsoever. But they said a lot of people when they don't have a purpose in life feel like they have no value in life and they don't contribute to anything in life. But let me tell you guys, we find our purpose and value in Jesus Christ. It's something the world won't understand. When I accepted Christ, I know who I am. I know the value that I have. I know where I'm going and I know what I exist to do. I'm here to help people find Jesus. And every time I help people find Jesus, I find fulfillment in my life because I am pleasing the one that created me for that purpose. And a lot of people miss out on that. A lot of church people miss out on that going through the motions of just walking around and just saying, I don't know why I'm here and I'm going to show up at church. Don't just show up at church. We've got to learn to be the church. We've, we've got to leave this building and be part of people's lives. What was he praying? <clears throat> Verse 11, he inquired in the house of Judah for one called Saul of Tarsus. Behold, he prayeth. He's praying. I could be the answer to somebody's prayer. You could be the answer to somebody's prayer because the Spirit of God lives inside of me and He moves us around to talk to people and be part of their lives. Verse 12, and he, he that had seen a, in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him that he might receive his sight. Can you imagine Ananias pausing and being like, um, did you say Saul of Tarsus? <laughs> You're talking about the killer? You're talking about the guy that's coming to our city to arrest us? You mean the guy that has killed my cousin and did I mean, you can imagine his mind going wild of all these scenarios of what this guy does. 
He said, and then Ananias said, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil has he done to the saints at Jerusalem. And there he had the authority from the chief priests to bind all that call in his name. I'm, I'm just going to say, guys, what God was calling Ananias to do was not comfortable or easy. I truly believe that God has called us, us as a church, to help people find Jesus They're lost, we need to help them to find Jesus. They're in the darkness, we need to help them, help them find Jesus. You say, how do you do that? And I think a lot of times we complicate this. I want to break this down so simple. I'm going to give you three points today and then we're going to do the second part of this next week. This is how we help people find Jesus. And this is not something complicated. Because I think we complicate this a lot of times. We automatically think of revival services and big meetings and Easter conferences or Easter services and All these things. Let me tell you, this was so simple of what God did. What is our mission? Number one, we help people find Jesus. We all know this. The question is how? How do you do this? How do you do this in an everyday thing? How how is Ananias doing this? You imagine this. He follows the instructions of Jesus. He goes to this house. You talking about scared? I would be scared. On the other side of that door is a man that literally wants to kill him. I mean, that's, this, is, this is tough stuff. He walks up to the door. You can imagine Ananias knocking on the door. He comes up and knocks on the door. And Judas, it's Judas's house, not Judas Iscariot. He's gone at this point, so it wasn't him. Knocks on the door and he says, is Saul here? Thinking in the back of his mind, it'd be great if he said, no, he's not. I mean, this guy is not the type of guy you want to have coffee with, okay? He's a bad dude. Knocks on the door and he says, probably shocked, yes, uh, Saul is here. Walks in and you can imagine what's going through his heart and mind. This is so odd. You say, why is it odd? If you're being hunted by a man, the last thing you want to do is go look for the guy hunting for you. And he said this. Verse 12, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in to him. How do, you, how do we help people find Jesus? Let me like make this so simple. We have to learn to step into their lives. We have to learn to step into their lives. I say this all the time. We say this all the time. Cliche statement among Christians. You ready for it? When it comes to salvation, it's not about religion. It's about a relationship. It's about a relationship. Can I tell you, when it comes to reaching people with the power of the gospel, it's not about religion. It's about a relationship. God works through relationships. And you say, prove it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read them. What did Jesus do to reach people? He built relationships with people. He stepped into their lives. You have the woman at the well. She's been divorced five times, rejected five times. You know what Jesus did? Jesus stepped into her life. You got the maniac at Dick Gadara. He was, he was rejected of people. He had an issue that nobody else wanted. They tied him up out of the city. He was possessed. He had issues. You know what Jesus did? Jesus stepped into his life. You have the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. It is a very gross sin in their day and age. They threw her to the ground. They had rocks in their hands. They were going to take her life. You know what Jesus did at that moment? Jesus stepped into her life. You want to know what our calling is to do to help people find Jesus? We've got to get off these seats and get out there and step into people's lives. 
It's what we do. Jesus shows us this over and over again. You know what we do? We come to church and sit there and say, I hope people get saved today. Did you bring somebody with you? How are people going to be saved in a church service if nobody brought them to the church service? We're living in an imaginary world wanting imaginary results. It's not how it happens. People are not lined up at our door waiting to get in here and running to our altars. It's a matter of somebody like Ananias has to get out of their comfort zone, rise up, and go to where people are and step into their issues. And that's where we get turned off right there. Seriously. I'd rather get mad at the issues of today rather than step into the issues of today. Do you know what Saul was in, that, in, the, in there? He was blind, confused, alone. You want to know a lot of people around us are blind, confused, depressed, alone? It's the truth. It took effort it took uncomfortable. It took following Christ to knock on that door, to, to go with the name. You, you say, what does this look like? What, what, what are we trying to do through all this? He, he saw this man. It's verse 12 again. He has seen in a vision a man named Ananias, an average guy coming in. He, he said, I've already showed Saul what's going to happen. He already knows that this was going to When we could not get to Jesus, Jesus came to us. That is the whole story of Christmas. It's the whole story of Easter of what we're talking about. See, Ananias did not show up on this day. The love of God showed up on this day. The love of God just showed up in the form of Ananias. The love of God captures and shocks the world. Ananias stepped into the problems that he was having. Let me ask you, let's just make application. What does this look like tomorrow for you? I'm serious. What does this look like for tomorrow? What does this look like for today? Right now, uh, if there's somebody that comes to church and you don't know them, do you realize that you could be the answer to their prayer? If they're coming to a church and they're like, man, I don't, I don't know a soul there. In their mind, they're thinking, will I be accepted? Man, will I be lied to? Am I going to be the right person? Am I going to say the right things? I don't know what to do. Saul didn't know what to expect. But it, it's an amazing thing when you step into somebody's life and not just like, how are you doing? But it's a matter of, hey, let me tell you my name. What brought you to our church? Man, I'd love to grab coffee for you. You say that takes effort. That's what Jesus did for with us. That's what Ananias is doing. It's going to take some effort for us to reach people that are lost without Jesus. It's uncomfortable. It's not just say, hi, welcome to our church. It's how can I pray with you? Why don't you join me for lunch? Because you have something that they need. When Saul was praying for answers, God sent Ananias to be the answer to Saul's prayer. How, how do we help people find Jesus? I'm telling you, it's never going to happen if we don't learn to step into people's lives. Step into their problems, step into their issues, step into their hurts. Here's the next thing. We help people find Jesus when we treat them like family. Now, verse 17, Ananias went his way and he entered into the house and he put his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto me in this way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mayest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now imagine Saul is blind, no clue what to expect. He hasn't ate, 
He's distraught. He's in a place that's unfamiliar. You can imagine he's over there. Just, just picture this. He's there thinking, okay, there's, there's believers that have come. I saw this in a vision. God's doing something through this. I know. But man, if this guy is like I was, if this guy comes in wanting revenge, how is this guy going to treat me? Man, I've, I've done a lot of things. You can imagine Paul or Saul up to this point pacing around going, man, I've, I've killed these people. I know what they're going to do. I know what I would do. I, I, I'd punch them in the face. I'd make it very clear that you've hurt my people. I'd, I, I know what I would do. Man, I didn't know what I was doing. And then it happens. Knock on the door. Ananias walks in. Saul's probably over here like, I don't know what to expect. Here's the words out of Ananias. Brother Saul, I'm, I'm not making this up. I'm not trying to embellish this story. I'm literally telling you what the scripture says. He walks up to him and he treats him as if he belonged. He treated him like he had value. Man, if we could just learn to apply this. He was giving him time. He was giving him attention. Why? Because he mattered to God. Now I'm going to ask you guys a question. Did Saul deserve any of this? Did Saul deserve any of this? What is it called when we give somebody something that they don't deserve in Christian? Well, mercy is withholding punishment. I, I can imagine if walking in there and saying, Saul, God told me to show up. He's got a plan for you, but I want nothing to do with you. Are you going to hurt me? No, I'm not going to hurt you. Just get out of my life. That's mercy. That's not what Jesus called him to do. He walks in there, calls him Saul, and he put his hands on him. He embraced him, pulled him in his family. See, grace is you getting more than what you ever deserved. You see what breaks it down, what's opening his eyes, what's helping him to see. He's experiencing Christianity. He's experiencing God in that moment. It's not a theory. It's not a thought. It's not Christianity. It's what he sees on TV and the ideas that he sees at work. Man, he's seeing it in real life. This is Jesus through people. Christianity has to be lived out. Let me ask, how do we treat people I'm saying when people come in here or you treat people or see people, you say, well, they don't dress like me or they don't act like me. Jesus isn't worried about how they're dressed. He's worried about their hearts. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in the outward things and our traditions and how we do certain things that we become a stumbling block for people to get to Jesus. We have to be careful with that. He walks in there and walks up to a murderer, a killer, and embraces him as if he mattered. You know why? Because he did matter. Because Jesus died for him. We step into their lives. We treat them like family. And we help them to see. You see, this passage is all about this description of the lost being blind. Literally meaning you don't have direction. I... Uh, we, we have some issues with some of the electric in our lights in our sanctuary. We're trying to work that out, getting quotes and stuff like that. A lot of our panels don't work like they used to. So I can't walk in and push a button to turn on the lights in here. We have to do it. But I'm in here all the time. A lot of us are in here all the time. No problem. I walk through the sanctuary all the time. So I don't need the lights on. I've got skills, okay? So every single time, I think I know exactly where I'm at because it's very dark in this room and I'll end up tripping over something or falling or running into a thing. Because no matter how much I think I have it figured out, when you can't see, you can't see. 
And when you can't see, you don't even know what you're tripping over. You don't even know what the truth is. That's why the Bible calls lies and those types of things darkness. We cannot see. It happens to us. Saul later, when he was testifying of his calling, of what he came to do, do you know how he described his calling in ministry? He said this in Acts 26, verse 18. Notice the descriptions. To open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. The world around us is blind, spiritually blindness. Do you know what Saul was experiencing in this? He was experiencing physically what he'd already been experiencing spiritually. Why are you persecuting me? I don't know. I don't know. I thought I was doing good. God, I, 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 thought, I, I thought I was doing something good. He walks out of there saying, I still don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. I don't get this. When Ananias showed up, Ananias was on a mission. You know what his mission was? To help him see. Christians, as the light of the gospel of us having Jesus Christ in us, we have the answers, we have the truth. We speak the truth in life, but the goal is to help open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. That is our goal. Not to yell at them for tripping in the darkness. What are you doing? That's wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. You can yell at somebody in the darkness all day long. That's not going to help them see. Do you know what changes lives? When people see the gospel, God convicts their hearts and their eyes are open and they accept Jesus Christ. You know how you accept Jesus Christ? You know what changes somebody's life? You say, I'm trying to change how they act at church or change how they dress to church or change how they come to church or whatever. You know what changes somebody is the heart of man. You know what changes the heart of man? The indwelling of the Spirit of God inside of them. It's not mom and dad that can do it. It's not a pastor that can do it or a youth pastor can do it. It's the indwelling and the change and the work of the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. So let me show you what happens. The Bible is describing Saul as blind. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. He's testifying, understanding what he went through of being blind. Blind. Part of the blindness is people walking in here going, I don't think I'm good enough to be here. I think church people are fake. Church people just want your money. They're all a bunch of cliques. They will judge me for how I look and how I live. So they stay away. Do you know what I have to do? I have to step into their life to be the light of the gospel to prove that those are lies. And by the way, if there is a church that is judging people for how they come and how they look and things, they need to get their heart right. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, putting his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in this way that thou camest has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. I don't believe Saul was saved on the road to Damascus. He did. He would have the Spirit of God because it is only the Spirit of God that makes dead things live. Salvation a part of the Spirit of God is not salvation because you are still dead. What makes you alive is the indwelling of the Spirit of God inside of you. That is salvation. 
We don't receive the Spirit of God down the road. It's not a second blessing that we have. It's receiving Jesus Christ through the power of God that he saves us and makes dead things live. This is a physical illustration. And it says in verse 18, And immediately there fell from his eyes as it been scales, and he received sight forwith, and arose and was baptized. Received the Spirit of God, his eyes were open, he rose up, and he was baptized. What is happening to Saul right here? What is happening? He went from blind to confused to humbled to being placed. And God brought somebody into his life to encounter, to visualize, to experience the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God in that moment. That's what's happening. You want to know why God has you as Ananias? Because when Jesus was teaching, he said this, Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You say, I want people to meet Jesus. Then they should meet Jesus in you. I want people to see the truth. Then they should see the truth in you. I want people to experience grace. Then they should experience grace in you. When you get up, go to them, step into their lives, treat them like they matter. Treat them the value that they have. And you say, well, I don't know if they have value. If Jesus died on the cross for them, then the life of God was the value that was being willing to pay for their life. That's how much. You say this. Can you get this? I love this. Saul goes on to be Paul. Paul goes on to start churches, raise up evangelists, change the world, write half of the New Testament. Saul goes on to to literally turn the world upside down. Saul goes on to have his name changed to become one of the greatest evangelists that ever lived. You say, how did that happen? Through a nobody named Ananias. Through this random guy that just said, that scares me to death. Lord, do you know who he is? I know who he is, but I know what I'm going to do with you. I have it all worked out. I need you to get up. And I need you to go into his life. I need you to step into his life. Don't just wait for him to walk in your church. Step into his life. It goes in there. Jesus sent me here. The one you guys crucified on the cross. Is he mad at me? No, he loves you. He sent me here to tell you. He's got a big, big plan for you. Me? Me? All I've done is destroy. Not anymore. You see, we help people find their identity. You are forgiven. You are sanctified. You are called out. You are not who you are. That's what we do. You want to change the world? Step into people's life and say, let me tell you about Jesus. You don't understand. I once was lost too. You're not alone, dude. We're in this together. And you help them find their value. I'm nobody man alive. Do you know why suicide is so bad? Do you know why this stuff happens all around us? Is because people don't think they matter. Help them know they matter. You and your efforts and your kindness and your patience and your love step into their world and help them know that they matter. They matter so much that a God of the universe would step into this earth and die on a cross. You matter that much. You know it. They need to hear it. Don't give up. God wants you to know you have identity in Christ. 
You're no longer who you used to be. You have value to Christ. And Saul, dude, you have a new purpose in Christ. I don't know all the details of this, but God told me this. He's going to use you to turn the world upside down. And go before kings and rulers. He's going to use you in that way. Can I tell you that there is no greater fulfillment in life than learning and experiencing Jesus? Nothing greater. Nothing. But let me tell you, on the mission after I meet Jesus, the greatest fulfillment that we can have in life is to help other people fulfill their greatest need. Do you get that? When I am like, does my life matter and what am I here all about? And I begin to step into people's lives and I begin to teach them about Jesus and lead them to Jesus and I see them, their life change and I see life transformation and marriages mended back together and men that were drunks become leader and moms that were depressed and thought that they had no value and thought that they had no worth to find Jesus Christ and to find out that they have purpose and I get to be part of that. I am nobody. I am Ananias. I am nothing but Tony, but I get to be part of the mission of God and from that I find the greatest fulfillment in my life is living out the mission that God's given us there's people here right now that you're just you're just going through the motions of it you're thinking about yourself and it's all about me and us man get your eyes open and say this week I'm going to step into somebody's life This week at work, this week with my neighbor, this week with my relative that I don't get along. You say, they're a jerk. Well, there's a lot of people out there that need to be changed by Jesus in order for them to be changed. You could be the very thing that they're secretly praying about and saying, God, just show me. And God says, I'm going to show them through you.